the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, Gotta say, you're gonna have to represent me to people in this conflicted culture. And you're gonna have to endure some things, and you're gonna be a vessel of influence for my glory. This is your mission field. So that's the answer to our distress. It's not, Lord, take me out of this, although one day he will take the church out. But in the meantime, it's, Lord, help me to occupy well. Jesus said, occupy till I come. He didn't say flee till I come. To occupy till I come. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through psalms. Surrounded by his enemies, the psalmist cries out to God for refuge in a foreign land. Have you ever felt lost, out of place, and unfairly treated? There is hope and strength to be found in God. Too often we deprive ourselves of the opportunity to see God work miraculously because we don't take our challenges to God and try to handle things on our own. In today's message, Pastor Gary will show us the value of bringing our struggle to God. God wants to be involved in every season of our lives, and we are always blessed when we turn to Him. Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Psalms, chapter 120 through 123, with part one of his message, Pilgrim's Progress. If you have your Bibles open now to Psalm 120, this is what it says. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Well, for those of you who are baseball fans, you will be familiar with the uh, now decades-long tradition of baseball players having their favorite song played on the stadium sound system as they walk up to the batter's box. And uh, the reason that they play their favorite song is because it, it either pumps them up or it pumps up the crowd or it says something to define the player. Uh, and, and so this has been a tradition now for the, the past few decades, and it has this song that they play as the batters come up to the batter box has been very originally called the walk-up song. That's what it's called, the walk-up song. 
What you may not know is how that tradition started, so I'll give you the background. In 1970, the, um, the, Chicago, the Chicago White Sox hired for their club organist a lady by the name of Nancy Faust. And so she joined the organization in 1970 as the club organist. And at that time, the, the organ was located in the center field bleachers. So she was out among everybody else. And, and so she started a tradition of playing a song on the organ that was the state song of each baseball player when they would come up to the batter's box, just kind of in tribute to, to the batter. Well, over the years, she started to kind of just have fun with this whole concept. And, and so um, one time she heard now Hall of Fame announcer Harry Carey. One time when he was calling a game, she heard him say, this game is going so long, they're going to have to carry me back home. And so she played on the organ, carry me back to old Virginia, which was our state song. And then she started having more fun with it. Uh, back in the 80s, uh, Madonna was a pretty popular pop star then, singer, songwriter, and so a lot of baseball players were dating Madonna back in the day. <laughs> and when any, when any baseball player who was dating Madonna at the time would step up to bat, she'd play on the organ like a virgin, okay? <laughs> that was Madonna's hit song, for those of you not old enough to remember. Then she would have even more fun if a rookie came up to bat... She would play the song from the Who's. Who are you? Who, 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 who? <laughs> so this tradition carried on until eventually every MLB player decided, how about my favorite song being played over the sound system? And that's the tradition we have today, thanks to Nancy Faust. Now, why am I sharing this story with you? I'm sharing this story with you because when you look in your Bibles here, between Psalm 120 and Psalm 134... What we have are Jewish walk-up songs. These are Jewish walk-up songs. If you'll notice in your Bibles, the subtitle over every one of those psalms, 15 psalms between 120 and 134, there's a subtitle on each of those psalms that says, Song of Ascents. Song of Ascents. So if you have a King James Bible, it says, Song of Degrees. In other words, it's talking about climbing up, degrees, or ascending up. And these 15 psalms between 120 and 134 are so named because these are the songs that the Jews would sing as they would make pilgrimage up to Jerusalem for one of the three major feasts every year. Now, you could go to Jerusalem whenever you wanted back in this day, but there were three required feasts that every Jew was supposed to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And so as they would make pilgrimage from wherever they lived, really in the world, but particularly from within Israel, they would travel there, and as they'd go up to Jerusalem, they would sing these particular psalms, 120 to 134, as they would ascend up to Jerusalem, thus the title, Song of Ascents. Now, one would always ascend up to Jerusalem for two reasons. Those reasons were elevation and consecration. You would always go up to Jerusalem for these two reasons. Elevation, because Jerusalem was and is a hilly place. There are four main hills or mounts that form a cluster that make up Jerusalem. You have Mount Moriah, you have um, the Mount of Olives, Mount Zion, and Mount Scopus. Those four hills. Remember, it was on Mount Moriah that Jesus was crucified. 
It was Mount of Olives from which he ascended to heaven and to which he's going to return again. You have Mount Zion, which is where typically the palace was built, and then you also have Mount Scopus. It's a hilly place, and the average elevation around 2,600 feet. Mount of Olives is 2,700 feet above sea level. If you go down to the Dead Sea, which is 18 miles to the south of the city of Jerusalem, you're dropping a difference of 4,000 feet. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on the face of the earth. So coming up from the Dead Sea region to Jerusalem, you're advancing some 4,000 feet to the elevation of 26, 2,700 feet that Jerusalem is. So it's hilly. So because of the elevation, you would always say you're going up to Jerusalem. But even more than that, because of its consecration, Jerusalem was and still is a holy place. And it was considered holy, of course, because that's where the temple of the Lord was built. Now, the temple of the Lord has been destroyed since 70 AD by the Romans, and it has never been rebuilt. But it was considered always a high, holy place because of its elevation and its consecration. Therefore, no matter where from what direction you were traveling to Jerusalem, whether it's north, south, east, or west, you would always say, out of respect to the consecration of the city, I'm going up to Jerusalem. I'm going up to Jerusalem. So these songs here are these songs of ascent. They're going up to Jerusalem. It's a hilly place. They're going up to Jerusalem. It's a holy place. And it was common in those days, just to give you the background of these songs, that when families would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they would often travel in groups for two reasons. One, for the fellowship of it. I mean, if you have to make three trips a year up to Jerusalem, you want to go with some of your best friends and some of your neighbors and family members. And so people would typically travel together. If it took you a few days to get to Jerusalem, you'd camp along the way. So it was just kind of a fun time camping and fellowshipping on your way up to Jerusalem. But in addition to fellowship, it also was a matter of safety. There's safety in numbers. People would travel together because there's better safety going together. Because those who were thieves and robbers and bandits would always take advantage of the pilgrims making pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They knew this is the set time of the feast. We're going to stake out the place. We're going to rob people along the way. So there was safety in numbers. You remember in Psalm 23 when David talked about, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. There was actually a valley between Jericho at the Dead Sea and Jerusalem to the north. That was called the Valley of the Shadow of Death because it was there that a lot of people were robbed and killed on their way up to Jerusalem. So for the fellowship and safety in numbers, people would travel together. Now, you remember, if you, if you know your Bibles at all, that this was one of those occasions when Mary and Joseph made pilgrimage to Jerusalem for one of these feasts that they accidentally left Jesus behind. Twelve-year-old Jesus left behind in the temple area Mary and Joseph had made a pilgrimage. Then they're traveling back to the northern region of the Galilee, and they forgot Jesus. How does this happen? I mean, that would be like going to the mall, shopping with your kids, then getting into your minivan, driving five miles away from the mall, and realizing you left Johnny back at the mall. Now, how is that possible? Here's how it's possible. Listen, Joseph and Mary were not negligent parents, okay? Don't call Jerusalem social services on them, all right? Here's what's going on. First of all, Josephus, the historian, tells us that the population of Jerusalem would swell to between two and two and a half million people during feast time. There's a lot of people. When you have that many people, you could lose a kid. You know what I'm saying to you? 
But that's not the reason why they left Jesus behind. The reason they left Jesus behind was, again, to the earlier point I made, when families would travel in large groups for safety and fellowship. So you could have, you know, dozens of people in your entourage traveling to and from Jerusalem, and you're just thinking that little Yeshua is playing in the back with the Greenberg family. And you, you just you think that, that he's in the back playing at the back of the pack and everything's fine. So they're not negligent. They just thought that he's within the group somewhere. Do you have Jesus? I don't have Jesus. Where's Jesus? I don't know. And so they had to go back to Jerusalem and retrieve him. Now, when they get back to Jerusalem, this is where Jesus says in Luke 2, verse 49, he's 12 years old. They find him in the temple areas. And Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Now, listen to how emphatic his statement. Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? I know that that was Jesus speaking those words. And I understand that in, in some ways, that's a glimpse into his deity by what he said. However... I would love for us as a church and for people in general who love the Lord to recapture how emphatic it is. I must be in the house of my father. I have to be in the house of God. That the church would be a people who understand out of this emphasis on, I just had to be, I have to be in my father's house where I can worship him and fellowship with his people. I just need to go to the house of the Lord. Listen, I appreciate that you're here. You could be a thousand other places this morning. And you chose to be here because there was something in you that just, I have to be in my father's house. I need to be worshiping there. I need to fellowship with God's people. I need to study the word together. Listen, I understand. I have no illusions. You can meet God and commune with him anywhere. I get that. But there is no substitute for being in God's house, worshiping God in his house, and fellowshipping with God's people. Amen? Amen. This is one of those times when Jesus' own family was making pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. No doubt. No doubt. Jesus, in his youth and in his adulthood, sang Psalm 120 to 134 on his pilgrimages up to Jerusalem. Our Lord sang these songs. This was part of it. You go up to Jerusalem, you make pilgrimage, you're singing Psalm 120 to 134. These are songs. The genre of this particular section of the Bible, this is the hymn book of Israel. And so they're singing Psalm 120 to 134 on their way up to Jerusalem. Jesus said, I had to be in my father's house. David captures this sentiment in a couple chapters later. We'll read it in a moment. It's Psalm 122 verse 1. He says, I was glad, King James says, New King James, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So people would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And since the Jews would be making pilgrimage, pilgrimage to Jerusalem for these special feasts. Psalm 120 to 134 are often referred to as the pilgrim psalms. The pilgrim psalms. And so over the next few weeks, and our journey all the way through the Bible, but we're in the book of Psalms for now, over the next few weeks we're going to be looking at some, not all, but, but some of these pilgrim psalms in a short series that I've entitled, and I know you're going to love the originality of this, I've entitled this short series, 
Pilgrim's Progress. Isn't that original? So that's catchy. Someone ought to write a book by that title. But anyway, that's what we're going to call this, Pilgrim's Progress. And it's the idea that we're also on a pilgrimage. We are. We're on a pilgrimage much like the Jews were on their way to Jerusalem. The only difference is their destination was the earthly city of Jerusalem. Our destination as those who are on a pilgrimage is for what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 22. It's for the heavenly city of Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You and I are on a pilgrimage. This earth is not our final destination. We are aliens and strangers. We are not citizens of this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And as such, we are on a pilgrimage. But we're not on a pilgrimage to an earthly destination. We're on a pilgrimage to a heavenly destination. And there is a city, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, which we are on a destination towards. And what I'd like us to do as we, over the next couple of weeks, read through these pilgrim psalms, is I want us to glean some good themes and principles here to be reminded of, or maybe to learn for the first time, some important things about the pilgrimage that you and I are on to our ultimate destination, that we would continue to be strengthened in our faith as we go from here to there along this path, this journey that we call life. So today, we're going to look at three of these 15 Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 120 that we just read, Psalm 121 and Psalm 123. So if you still have your Bibles open there to Psalm 120 that we read a moment ago, the psalmist here in Psalm 120 is in distress. And we find out through this chapter that the source of his distress is because he lives in a culture that is very contrary to his values and his faith. His culture is very antithetical to what he's about. The psalmist writes here that he's in distress because of the conflict, how different his culture is from his own values and his faith. And so within this chapter, he talks about how he speaks the truth, but they speak lies. He says, I am honest, they are deceitful. He says, I want peace, they want war. If you look again here in Psalm 120 to verse 2, for example, where he says, Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. He says, I, I find people are lying around me. They're deceiving around me. He says, this distresses me. It troubles me. And he says in verse 7, I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So he talks about this conflict and how, and how different it is living in, in this culture where he says peace, they say war. He speaks truth, they speak lies. He says what is honest and they say what is deceitful. He says, he says I'm distressed by all this around me. And to even draw an illustration to express his distress here, look at verse 5 where he says, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech and that I live among the tents of Kedar. Now, how can you live in two different places? I dwell in Meshech, I live in the tents of Kedar. Again, the, the, the genre of the book of Psalms is poetry. This is poetic language here. And he's talking about two extreme places, two extreme points on a map. Meshech is an ancient term for the region around the Black Sea. On a map today, it would be Russia. And the tents of Kedar is southern Arabia. It's where the Bedouins would live in tents. What he's saying here is, I'm living in a world that is full of just complete opposites. He says, you know, I live among people, 
But the people I live among, I feel so different to them that though I can be close to them in proximity, physically speaking, we are miles apart, spiritually speaking. And, and this is what distresses him. He says, I, I feel like this opposition is, and this conflict is constantly around me. I'm just, I'm just feeling barraged by, by all of this that is conflicting in my life. And so when he expresses this, this distress, you, you, might, you might read this chapter and think, yeah, I, 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 kind of, I kind of understand what he's talking about. If, you, if you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian for very long, you might feel in a similar way. Like, you know, you live among people, you work among people, you go to school with some people, and, and your view of things is totally different from their view of things. And the reason is because as a Christian, you see, the lens that you're looking through is the Bible and your relationship with Christ. So they have a different lens that they're looking through. And so some of the things that they value, you don't. Some of the things you value, they don't. And it's just a constant life of distress and contradiction and conflict. And that's the way life is going to be. But the psalmist pours this out. And he says, I'm in distress. And he, and he says in verse 1, God hears me in my distress and he answers me. Now, how did God answer him? Because God's answer was not, okay, I see that you're in distress in this conflicting world with your culture. So I'll just take you out of it. Now, that's going to come one day, but in the meantime, that's not God's answer to him. God's answer basically, verse 4 says, I'll punish those who need to be punished. Don't you worry about them. I'll take care of those people, okay? What he's inferring here is, but as for you, instead of taking you out of this world, here's the answer to your distress. You're going to have to learn to live within this world where I've planted you and exercise endurance and influence. Endurance and influence. Those are key words. God is saying, you're going to have to represent me to people in this conflicted culture. And you're going to have to endure some things, and you're going to be a vessel of influence for my glory. This is your mission field. So that's the answer to our distress. It's not, Lord, take me out of this, although one day he will take the church out. But in the meantime, it's, Lord, help me to occupy well. Jesus said, occupy till I come. He didn't say flee till I come. So occupy till I come. Peter would say it like this in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. He says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world. He says to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. That's part of the endurance. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's influence. There's going to be some things we need to endure, and then the other part is we need to be people of influence. So, part of Pilgrim's Progress, part one in our series here, point number one, exercise endurance and influence in this world, because that's what God calls us to. You remember Lot in the book of Genesis? The Bible says in 2 Peter 2.8 that that righteous man living among Sodom and Gomorrah day after day, a pretty heathen pagan place, pretty immoral place, there was Lot, a righteous man, living among the people. And Peter writes in his epistle that he was, Lot was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. King, King James says he was vexed in his spirit because of the things he saw and the things that he heard. And God had to send angels to literally come and rescue him and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you know the tragic story, Lot's wife looked back, as if the inference is longingly, she looks back to Sodom and Gomorrah, and so God turns her into a 
pillar of salt. Not a good day for Mrs. Lott. We're so glad you joined us for Pastor Gary's message today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching in the book of Psalms and that God is whispering the words of comfort and strength to your heart. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can hear all of Pastor Gary's messages through this book, as well as the entire Bible. Be sure to check out the companion resources while you're there, found under the Teachings tab. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about how God is working in your life. Feel free to join the conversation on our Facebook page or check out what's going on at Cornerstone Connection on Twitter or Instagram. We're here to chat with you in person too, so give us a call at 703-771-1500. Let us know how we can be praying for you That number again is 703-771-1500. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary will have much more to share from his verse-by-verse study through Psalms when you join us again, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.